Hello, and welcome to The Right Side of History, a show dedicated to exploring current events through a historical lens and busting left-wing myths about figures and events of America's past. My name is Jarrett Stepman, a contributor to The Daily Signal. And I'm Fred Lucas, a Daily Signal's White House correspondent. And this week we are, I guess in some ways, following up uh, from our, our last episode, which we talked about uh, what makes America great. Uh, I think that there are very specific reasons, and I think we address that. But in this episode, we're going we're gonna to address something very specific that makes America great, which is the Declaration of Independence our, our, from our nation's founding, the kind of uh, – that, along with the Constitution, makes up the two, I think, core documents that make make America what it is today and something that, unfortunately, a lot of Americans uh, don't have a lot of understanding of. They may, they may know, of course, the most famous lines, all men are created equal from the Declaration, but they don't know a lot about its history, why it was created, and sadly, many don't even know who, who wrote it, which is, I think, <laughs> uh, a little bit of a sad thing, uh, Fred, but – you know, we, we've seen a lot of these kind of polls, and there is does seem to be a lot of ignorance about the Declaration or kind of country's founding, right? Well, there's a uh, um, yeah, and uh, I mean, even to some degree, even on both sides, I think uh, Senator Mike Lee, who's who we're going to talk to in the program, uh, writes about in his book a little bit uh, that e- even on the right, even with the Tea Parties, uh, they talked a lot about the Constitution, uh, but people didn't talk as much about the Declaration of Independence, which is the reason we have a constitution, the reason we have a country, really, and uh, so, 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 that, I mean, and the the principles laid out in the Declaration of Independence are, you know, the the kind of the moral backbone and underpinning of the Constitution. That's right. And as Fred, as Fred mentioned, we are actually on this podcast going to have a chance to talk to uh, Senator Mike Lee, who has a new book out about the Declaration of Independence, which is kind of the basis of the show and it's it's an important thing and i think fred i think what is really important about this and i like the fact that he highlights the declaration and we celebrate in our country the constitution and declaration this is these are things that make america unique they make us different i think america is both has a long-term culture it has a long-term history that is developed even before the declaration and the constitution this uh, in some ways, the civil American civilization has been around much longer than that. But these two uh, things, of course, America's separation from from Great Britain and the creation of the Constitution, uh, mark us out as unique. I mean, we are not simply uh, a, a offshoot of British civilization. I, I think we are something that's unique. And the founders, I think, quite brilliantly uh, put in the Declaration. Of course, this is the work of Thomas Jefferson. Some some ideas. Uh, that make us different, that that set us apart from other nations and, and kind of declares what America is supposed to be, not necessarily everything that America is, but what we hope to be. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. And it, clear, clearly it wasn't what America was at at that time. And, and in, in many ways it still isn't, but it's it's that aspiration. And as we said before, on a, I, I think a previous show we talked about, America is, you know, rare among nations and that it was built on an ideal built on principles as opposed to rather than conquest or territorial seizing land in some way so. absolutely uh, it's 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 interesting of course america is a very uh, rights-based country i mean i think that's a very important thing we we base this idea of the kind of natural rights you right. know all all men are right. created equal they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights and i think americans you know what exactly those rights are 
is oftentimes comes to great debate in this country. I think we're currently having one of those debates over the issue of abortion. I mean, it's, we're, we're talking about right. whether or not you have equal right to life, which many would say was, was would be the right of the highest priority, uh, even more than a right to liberty. I mean, that's uh, a pretty fundamental thing. And I think you know, taking these issues very seriously, I mean, based on what we are as a country, I think, you know, obviously the Declaration of Independence was written at a time in which everybody knows that slavery was very much apparent, you know, but what did that mean when we declared that all men are created equal? Obviously that gives, in large part, a poison pill to slavery, uh, which of Mm -hmm. course was eliminated at the end of the Civil War, but this isn't something that just pertains to the debates that happened in the first 70 plus years the Republican was over uh, when, when of course, slavery was abolished in the Great Civil War that we had, but applies to Americans today as well. And I think that's – and we're certainly going to get into that with, with Senator Lee as why our Constitution, which he calls in his book our lost Constitution – or excuse me, our declaration, which he calls our, our lost declaration – still applies to Americans today because in many ways some of our rights are being violated. Our government has changed in ways that are dangerous to the liberties of the American people. This is uh, ultimately what makes us great. I mean Some, – Something he he gets into in the book, which I think is actually very interesting, um, uh, the notion of um, negative rights and positive rights. And usually we don't necessarily like the word negative, but, but in this context it, it, it is a – a good thing. It's a negative as to what the government cannot do because now we have this notion of a right to free college, a right to free health care, a right to free abortion, as you say, a right to what, whatever, uh, which the, the word right in some ways has just been thrown out and expanded. And, and the way you reach that right to give everybody everything for free is have a large collectivism, um, large all-encompassing government, which is, can essentially take away liberty. So right, I, and and that that's the problem in which uh, I I I think positive rights, uh, which is a term is taken on. It's, it's, um, I would have probably preferred to phrase it a different way, but positive rights, negative rights, it's um that that's I I think is is a problem when you're looking at liberty. Uh, but uh, because in terms of how much the government can expand uh, and what they can take away from you in order to give you so much for free. Absolutely. I think the the, the, the maybe good way to put it is mm-hmm. in one sense you have kind of the modern notion, which really ultimately is privileges granted by, by government as opposed to rights that you are born with. They're right. endowed by your creator, endowed to, to you by, by God. You're born with certain rights. I think that is the distinction between – how the founders maybe saw rights, and certainly many generations have did, and mm-hmm. how rights were kind of redefined, especially during the progressive era, mm-hmm. uh, to be simple grants by government. You know, you can almost conceive any kind of right. I have a right to an education. I have a right to a house. I have a right to this and that. And while all those things may be obviously good things, uh, what makes it a right itself, something that can't be deprived to you? And I think the problem with all those things is – 
Those things can be different. Somebody had to build the house. Therefore, somebody can have a right to your labor to say that, well, you have to build a house for somebody else. And I think that that, in some ways, uh, was the basis. Uh, it was just the opposite. I mean, when Abraham Lincoln talked about the abolition of, of slavery, he was saying that, you know, the problem was, you know, I work, you eat. Uh, it was somebody had a right to your labor. And I think that that is something that we have a, a real danger of today is conflating these ideas about what rights really mean. But I, I think we're going to switch gears here and, and really move on to the kind of primary part of this episode, which is talking to Senator Mike Lee about about his book and, and why we need to recapture this declaration, which uh, many Americans sadly don't have much of an understanding of and and really should come to an understanding of. And I think he does a good job of laying out why the declaration came to be, why it was so important, and why it speaks to us today in modern American history. So now we have the pleasure of being joined by Senator Mike Lee, who has written a new book. This is actually a second book, Our Lost Declaration, America's Fight Against Tyranny from King George to the Deep State. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. So we'll go right into why did you write this book? Obviously, the Declaration of Independence is, uh, well, I mean, it's the, it is the seminal event of American history. Why did you think that Americans need to recapture a lost declaration? It's occurred to me a lot lately that especially younger Americans are uh, losing touch. They're losing a connection with the principles of our founding. And I've, I've written a couple of books about the Constitution. As I was writing those, it kept occurring to me, in order to fully understand and implement and protect and defend the Constitution, you have to understand the Declaration. It's as though we've got a picture on the wall. The, the frame is the, is the Constitution, but the picture itself is the Declaration. It's the what we're trying to protect. It's what the Constitution is there to protect. It states and identifies the inherent dignity of the human soul. And the rights of human beings as against government. That's why we need to understand it. So I wrote this book for all the parents and grandparents out there who know that their children and grandchildren aren't getting the same education that they got in civics. This is to make it easier for them. Yeah, I like the the, the line at the beginning of your book that it was the kind of moral framework of what this country is. I, I really like that. And I thought it was interesting. You actually said that 40% of Americans can't identify Thomas Jefferson as the writer of the Declaration of Independence. I mean, that's that's a stunning fact. Of course, when you get into these civics kind of surveys, there are a lot of, I think, really sad facts uh, about America's knowledge of, of our history. And obviously, the Declaration is really this, this kind of critical moment and event. But I think what you do really well in this book is you break down uh, what the dec declaration meant and that it wasn't just, of course, most people still remember the line, you know, all men are created equal and they're, they're down with certain inalienable rights. But you really break down the things that led up to the revolution, to the leading up to the declaration of independence. These, I mean, this wasn't something that was done for light and transient causes. I think there are too many people think, well, you know, were Americans really that oppressed at the time? And I, I think you make a very convincing case that, yes, they were. I mean, there were so many uh, really violations of America's rights. It's what Jefferson kind of broke down in the less well-read part of the Declaration. Can you kind of explain what Americans were going through at that time and why this it led so many to believe that independence was necessary? Sure. I, we have to remember, uh, as I explained in, in the book, there are essentially three pieces to, to the Declaration. There's the preamble, which most people, if they know much about the Declaration— know a few words out of that. Uh, that's the part where we identify the, the fact that we've got certain inalienable rights. 
uh, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that we're endowed by our creator with these things. The second part is the indictment section. That's the one you're referring to now that sets out the list of grievances. Uh, if this were a, cel- a festivist cel- celebration, this would be the airing of grievances portion <laughs> of what we were dealing with King George III. And then the final part is where we explain, and therefore what? Well, we're no longer going to be part of Great Britain. We're leaving. We're done. Um, don't let the uh, door hit you on the way out. Um, but but back to the focus of your question, which is the grievance section, the indictment section. King George III had engaged in a long train of abuses, including withholding his consent from legislation, including withholding uh, consent of some of the states to run their judicial systems as they deemed fit and proper, uh, as was necessary in order to protect their economies. He had unreasonably restrained their trade. And without trade, without the ability to manage their own ports and, and engage in, in interstate and international trade, they couldn't survive. King George III knew this. So it, it was with these kinds of abuses in mind that a few things happened. Thomas Paine wrote Common Sense, and he gave words in populist rhetoric, uh, in, in language that everyone could understand, to this feeling that a lot of people would have, but no one dared express. He said, among other things, why are we giving all this power to a king? Why are we giving unfettered discretion and assuming that someone has the right to govern our every aspect of our lives simply because of his parentage? Of his genealogy. This makes no sense. And so th- that's what gave rise to this moment in history when the American people were ready to say enough is enough. We had lived under this order in which uh, uh, the English monarchs had uh, lived by this phrase, uh, God and my right. Uh, it's known as the divine right of kings. They believed and they instructed their subjects that the kings had been chosen by Almighty God to rule over them. So you couldn't question the king because doing so was questioning God. We broke all that down. And we realized that what is ordained of God are our rights that pre-exist any state, any government, any potentate, any king. That's what makes America special. That's what we're losing today as we're re-enthroning not kings— but bureaucrats with unfettered discretion. Senator, um, and the, one, one thing I, I did want to ask you about is um, the fact that our revolution, the American Revolution, was so much more successful uh, than other revolutions. Where other our, our our revolution secured liberty and natural rights, uh, whereas other revolutions, the French Revolution comes to mind, but I mean, more recent uh, Middle East revolutions and so forth, uh, those went from one tyranny to another. Uh, the Declaration. Of independence, that's the key as to why we were able to be successful, would you say? Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. It's the key, especially when you add to that, that it, it, it itself, the document itself didn't necessarily uh, make the difference. It helped, but the cultural and social dynamics that went into it mm-hmm. and the understanding that was had among the American people at the time, coupled with the declaration itself, made it successful. Let me explain what I mean. As I explained in our last declaration, our revolution stuck, meaning it gave rise to uh, the the development of the greatest civilization the world has ever known with ec- upward economic mobility, uh, 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 liberty and equality, these, the yin and yang of, of uh, civil society. Uh, we're allowed to keep each other in check because of the principles enshrined in the Declaration of Independence. 
you have to have a balancing between liberty and equality in order for them to coexist and in order for liberties to survive. Whenever liberty uh, is jeopardized, it's often jeopardized because equality morphs into radical egalitarianism and people see, start to see the state, the brooding omnipresence of government as the answer to create an equality of outcomes. Uh, equality at that point becomes radical egalitarianism. It swallows liberty. But in order to keep equality as an understanding of equal treatment under a just system of laws, you have to have this understanding at the very outset that there is such thing as a natural right. And and for that, I personally believe it's vitally important people believe in God, that they believe in a fair, just God and a fair, just God who wants us to be free and has ordained rights for us to exist. Yeah, I think one thing you, you, you highlighted in your book is that in some cases, it, the Declaration isn't just about 1776. It's about America today as well. I mean, these are what we believe to be timeless ideas. And I think you highlighted that many of the things that maybe our forefathers wouldn't be happy with, uh, with our current government, where there are violations of rights that maybe we wouldn't have tolerated in the past. Maybe we just kind of look past because we're used to living a certain way. Can you talk about some of the things today that I think uh, really go against maybe the principles of the declaration where our government has maybe changed in some fundamental way? Yeah, we have replaced a monarchy with a bureaucracy. So instead of having a single king who's got a crown and a throne and claims the divine right of kings, we've got thousands or maybe tens of thousands of government bureaucrats making decisions. And they are deferred to not because of this theory of the divine right of kings, but because of our secular uh, faith, uh, for lack of a better word, in the rule of the experts. And that becomes a real problem. Anytime you're just asked to defer to someone because they're the expert and, you know, don't bother me with the details, uh, that's a real problem. And especially when you take that person, here the government bureaucrat, the federal regulator, that person, unlike federal lawmakers, cannot be fired. You can fire every, any member of the House of Representatives every two years. Any member of the Senate, uh, one third of all senators are up for re-election every two years in staggered six-year terms. You can fire us. You cannot fire the unelected, unaccountable bureaucrat. It's almost impossible. The problem is itself not with the bureaucrats, who, by the way, make everything you buy more expensive, who impose $2 trillion in regulatory compliance costs on the American economy. And contrary to popular belief, those are not born by uh, America's um, uh, top 1%. They're born disproportionately by America's poor middle class. Um, but those costs are levied by regulators who have been empowered by Congress. So counterintuitively, even though the problem is power accruing to these bureaucrats, the problem isn't the bureaucrats themselves, most of whom are hardworking, well-educated, well-intentioned, and highly specialized. The problem is Congress. Hmm. Congress, over the course of the last 80 years, has chosen to delegate its lawmaking power rather than exercise it. It's easier to secure perpetual re-election if you're not passing actual laws. You identify a problem. The problem is X. You see, you 
pass a law saying, we hereby declare we shall have good law in Area X and we delegate to commission or agency or Department Y the power to make and interpret and enforce good law in Area X, you're going to have a problem. That's a recipe for tyranny. It's our own modern day form of a monarchy. <laughs> Only mm. instead of being a monarch, we've got a, a, a government of expertise, a tyranny of the expertise, a tyranny by the bureaucrats. A soft tyranny with a smiley face, but a tyranny nonetheless. Wow. I mean, you know, you've seen things from the inside. I know it's a loaded question, but how do you reverse that trend? I mean, this is, as you said, 80 years of Congress giving away its power to these basically unaccountable agencies and bureaucrats. How do you reverse that long-term trend? The answer to that question is uh, stunningly simple, which is people have to realize what's happening. That, that I genuinely believe that is the only impediment. And yeah, it creates a, a fairly daunting challenge because so few people have that understanding today. And yet it's relatively easy to explain. I, I find that anyone over the age of about 12 uh, can be made to understand this. They have experience with following rules at home and in the classroom and uh, sports teams and things like that. They can explain what happens uh, when rules are made not by those that they choose, but by someone over whom they have no influence, that becomes a problem. It's one of the reasons I wrote this book. I believe that if we start talking about it, if we just re-educate the American people, we just inform them about what their rights already provide for, what our existing governing document, including and especially the Declaration of Independence, those principles outlined in our lost declaration, we can reclaim the governments that's already ours. We don't need a revolution. We don't need to even change our system of government. We've already got that frame in place. We just have to have a clear, unobstructed view of the picture within the frame. That, that's what this book is about. Senator, there's so many on the left that um, seem to look to Thomas Jefferson and other founders uh, and look to their flaws where they didn't live up to America's ideals in, in the Declaration of Independence and, and the vision and say, well, these people were imperfect, so it, it almost seems like you could throw out the vision and ideals, which in many ways are perfect, uh, with the imperfections of the uh, of those people who articulated that. Is, is that a major problem among progressives? Yes, absolutely. I, I talk about this a fair amount in my book. I, mm -hmm. I discuss it, especially in Chapter 9 of the book, where we talk a little bit about Thomas Jefferson mm -hmm. and talk about the fact that he tried to eliminate slavery, first as a young legislator in uh, the uh, Virginia colonial uh, legislative body where he served, and then later in the Declaration of Independence. Um, yeah, he was flawed. Yeah, he made a lot of mistakes. And yeah, he, he didn't free his own slaves uh, uh, even after he died. George Washington at least made arrangements for his slaves to be freed after he and Martha had passed, and, and, and they did. Jefferson didn't do that, and I, I consider that tragic. But he nonetheless deserves some credit for acknowledging way ahead of his time that this was immoral, that it was barbaric. One of the things I like about Chapter 9 is that in Chapter 9, I'm able to expose the fact he pointed out that King George III deserved some of the blame for slavery. King George mm -hmm. III had sort of encouraged the slave trade. It was good for King George III. And that was one of the reasons why America uh, fell into this trap. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, it's interesting to me. You know, I think of the words of, of Abraham Lincoln saying that Jefferson's words are a stumbling block to tyrants. And I think that that seems to be the case, obviously, in Jefferson's day. It was a, a case against the institution of slavery, which he was a part of. But it's also something for, for us now. Uh, you know, we do have, we kind of accept some of these tyrannies in the modern world, that Jefferson's world is imperfect as a man as he was. Uh, his ideals really can speak to people at all times in all parts of history. They are just true and they are just, and they 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 present to us the possibility of rebirth and and something I think a lot of Americans hope for now. Maybe they did in 1860 as well. But this idea that while we may have gone down a, a bad path, that America is redeemable because of the things that are in the Declaration, as you called it, the moral framework that maybe Americans just need to better understand in their everyday lives. Um, How do we bring that message to more people? Because it seems like a lot of people are very much uninformed these days. We see these polls about civics. You know, what's the way to really bring back this idea of civics and teaching of American history from, you could say, a positive perspective? How do we do that for the American people where there is a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of ignorance uh, in this country now? There is a deep and systemic problem with our public education system, especially as it relates to the instruction on matters of civics. That's a challenge that we've got to deal with. And and rather than trying to deal with that through government and through the public education system directly, my hope is that people can go around that. Hmm. Just as in, and no, I don't, I don't want to compare myself to Thomas Paine. I cannot hold a <laughs> candle to him. But uh, I, I'll, I'll draw a parallel there in, in that at the time uh, that Common Sense was released, it, it, it wasn't... Um, wasn't like they had to put this into any uh, school system's curriculum. People just read it and they talked about it. And it wasn't just the book itself. It was the ideas in the book. Um, when you look at the fact that we have so much going for us, so much of what was in the Declaration has already succeeded. Mm-hmm. It, Jefferson, in many respects, still won, even though he lost the battle to keep the anti-slavery language overtly in the Declaration of Independence. He still kept in there uh, the, the, this principle that all men are created equal and that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Mm-hmm. That itself made its way into what became the 14th Amendment and the Equal Protection Clause and the other Civil War Amendments as well. And so we've, we've got some real success, uh, record of success. It's times it's been more gradual than we would like. But we have succeeded in achieving so much of what the Declaration set out to do. It's relatively easy for us now. It would be easy for us if we'll just reclaim the language. We'll just reintroduce the rhetoric so that people can realize that it's true. It's right and it works. It has worked in the past and it will work in the future. But we have to reincorporate it into our national political discourse. And I think that's going to mean it has to happen at the family level, at the community level, the neighborhood level, where people just have these conversations organically rather than waiting for the government to instruct us. Absolutely. Well, Senator Lee, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Again, the name of the book is Our Lost Declaration, America's Fight Against Tyranny from King George to the Deep State. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So thanks again to Senator Mike Lee for for joining us on our podcast. I think his book is very much enlightening and certainly worth reading for for every American. And, And thanks to you for joining us on the right side of history. If you'd like to listen to past and future broadcasts, you can also check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or the Daily Signal website. Also, take a look at the Daily Signal's Facebook page for when we air our next program. 
And if you are further interested in our work, check out my Twitter, at Jared Stepman, and Fred's Twitter handle, at WH. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to The Right Side of History, executive produced by Jared Stepman and Fred Lucas. Sound designed by Michael Gooden, Lauren Evans, and Thalia Rampersad. For more information, visit heritage.org. What the heck is trickle-down economics? Does the military really need a space force? What is the meaning of American exceptionalism? I'm Michelle Cordero. I'm Tim Desher. And every week on the Heritage Explains podcast, we break down a hot-button policy issue in the news at a 101 level. Through an entertaining mix of personal stories, media clips, music, and interviews, we help you actually understand the issues. So do this. Subscribe to Heritage Explains on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts today.